Matthew 20, verse 17. Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day he will be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's son, sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Fantastic. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're all well. Um, thank you for the reading. Sorry, it is me again. Um, I'm going to do one more week and then I'll, I'll step down. Um, don't worry. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what Karina's just read to us this morning. And that's our key text for this morning. That's the thing that I want you to leave this morning with. So if you normally use this time for a nap or a chance to catch up on your Twitter feed, just remember that verse before you switch off. <clears throat> if you've not been around for the past few weeks, we are on the fourth week now of our series uh, entitled Spiritual Rhythms, which isn't the name of a jazz night at a dodgy club. Um, this is actually a look at those repeated patterns of behaviour that we can adopt in order to become more spiritually healthy? How do we look after our, our spiritual selves, our spiritual lives? And it's a series that I've enjoyed uh, creating, enjoyed putting together, but I've, I've found it challenging. And not because I'm giving you anything new. Certainly if you've been in the faith a long time, or been coming to church a long time, I'm sure you've heard much of what I've said um, before, but because it's caused me to look at my own spiritual health. And just question, am I doing enough? You know, it's so easy, isn't it, to let things like, like prayer and, and, and study of the Bible and, and making ourselves accountable to others just kind of slip away, fall out of our lives. And I think we're very good at taking care of our physical health, aren't we? We, we get up in the morning and, and we do our teeth. I mean, I hope you do your teeth. Um, <laughs> You know, we have a wash, we comb our hair, and it's sort of second nature to us. We don't even think about 
how we take care of ourselves physically, but how good are we at taking care of our spiritual health? How much do we consider? How, impor- how much importance do we give it um, in our life? So that's the, the, the thought process behind the series. And I hope you found it um, at least a little bit challenging yourselves as well. And I've sort of pinned the whole series um, around a verse in Matthew 11. Um, Jesus' words, which I've been reading to you in the message paraphrase. So I'm just going to read that again um, here at the start. It says, Are you tired and worn out and burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it, and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. And so it's this idea that by looking at the life of Jesus, we can learn these spiritual rhythms. We can learn these rhythms of grace, these, these daily practices that help us um, with our spiritual health. The first week we looked at what it means to really follow Jesus. How do we follow him in every area of our life? How do we see him as saviour, teacher, lord and friend? Uh, And then two weeks ago we looked at the importance of regularly spending time with God. Taking time out of our incredibly busy lives to recharge. Um, And then last week we looked at the importance of biblical fellowship. Do we hold ourselves accountable to each other? Do we challenge each other about our spiritual health? How much do we consider how our our, our fellow brothers and sisters are doing with their, their faith? And all those talks are on our website, so if you, if you want to catch up on any of those, please do. Um, you can find them under the, the resources tabs. But we're moving on this morning, and the, the spiritual rhythm I want us to look at today is the rhythm of serving. And rather fantastically, this morning's talk has come on a morning where Steve read out about 27 different ways in which you can get involved and serve. Um, so it may seem a little contrived, but I promise you it's not. I think this is a really important rhythm for us as Christians. You know, we've been looking at the way that Jesus did life, who he was and what he did, and Jesus was all about serving. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So if you're not already there, <clears throat> flick forward to Matthew, I say for, yeah, forward, he'll be forward, flick forward to Matthew chapter 20. Um, don't panic if you haven't got a Bible, I'll put the verses on the screen. Or you can always grab a blue Bible from the foyer, that's fine. If you're not used to your Bible, it's about two-thirds of the way through, Matthew. First book in the New Testament. So the scene is this. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem with his disciples. um, Or his fellowship, as we called them last week. And this is a perfectly normal thing for Jesus to be doing. Uh, Jesus was Jewish. His disciples were Jewish. They weren't Christians. Um, That came a bit later. And it was nearly time for um, a Jewish festival known as the Passover. And so it was something of a tradition um, for Jewish people to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. And I imagine they were quite looking forward to it. A fun week in Jerusalem, a chance to to see the sights, to to eat some lamb, maybe check out the temple. That is until Jesus stops them. And he pulls them to one side. And this is what he says. I'm reading from verse 18. We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man... So that's what Jesus calls himself, that's his nickname for himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. 
On the third day, he will be raised to life. Now, these are some oddly specific and very untraditional Passover plans for Jesus to be telling his disciples about. Telling them that when they arrive in Jerusalem, he's going to be handed over and he's going to be killed. How do you respond to something like that? What do you say? I can't imagine what the disciples must have been thinking. You know, this is a guy, Jesus, they've been traveling with for nearly three years at this point. You know, they've seen him uh, bring health back to the sick, restore sight to the blind. They've seen him feed thousands of people with a few loaves. They've even seen him raise people from the dead. And here he is saying, guys, when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed. Well, Matthew doesn't record anything that the disciples say. Maybe they were sort of mulling it over. Maybe they weren't listening. Um, maybe they thought it was one of Jesus' parables and they were just trying to figure out the hidden meaning in his words. <clears throat> but Matthew does tell us that James and John's mother pops up. Now, I don't know where she came from. I don't know if she'd been travelling with them a long time at this point or whether she'd just turned up with some clean underwear for the boys. I'm not sure. I sort of like, as I read it, I like to imagine her sort of crouched behind a bush, kind of just listening in, just sort of waiting to spring out and... A cost Jesus. <clears throat> but wherever she came from, this is what she says, verse 21. Grant that one of these two sons of mine sit at your right and the other your left in the kingdom. Wow. What a tenacious mother. What a thing to ask. Oh my goodness. James and John were known as the the Sons of Thunder. I wonder if Thunder was her nickname. (laughs) You know, Jesus has just finished explaining that he's about to be killed, to lay down his life. And here is James and John's mother trying to secure for them a position of authority and power in his kingdom. Gosh. Has anyone else got a mother like that? (laughs) Is anyone else a mother like that? Um, interestingly, Jesus' response, it's not to, 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 to Mrs. Zebedee, um, but it's directly to James and John. Do you notice that? So I think this leads me, just to be a bit fair as a mother, I, I don't think this is just a case of a mother's ambition. I think that James and John also believed that they deserved a, a position of greatness. And... You know, last week we talked about how James and John, along with Peter, were some of uh, Jesus' closest followers. So maybe, maybe that's why they thought they deserved this position. You know, John also wrote one of our Gospels, and, and unsurprisingly, he leaves this story out of his Gospel. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Um, but Luke records a couple of occasions when arguments broke out amongst the disciples about who would be the greatest. So it seemed they all had this desire for greatness. This was a problem for all of them, as indeed I think it is for us sometimes. You know, most of us on some level desire to be important or someone special or held in high regard. Whether we admit to it or not is another thing. Excuse me, I've woken up with a very sore throat this morning. So Jesus turns to James and John. And he says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And just to offer some clarification here, the cup he's referring to is the suffering that he's about to endure in Jerusalem. He's talking about his crucifixion. 
You remember last week we looked at his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. Not my will, but yours. And in a number of times in the Old Testament, the image of a cup being poured out is, is symbolic of God's judgment upon a nation. And we know that when Jesus died on the cross, he took the judgment, the punishment that we deserved upon himself. He died in our place. So this is serious stuff. And James and John are very quick to answer. You notice that. We can, they say. We can do it. Which sort of leads me to believe they didn't really understand what he was talking about. Perhaps they thought they would just have to have a, a quick swig of his mug and they were there. Their position of greatness was assured. So Jesus replies, <clears throat> You will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my Father. A slightly cryptic response. We know actually from scripture and from church history that both James and John eventually suffered for the sake of the gospel. Acts 12 tells us that James was killed uh, by the sword. And John, although he died of old age, he, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. But this was much later on. Neither of them stuck with him during the crucifixion. And then we hear about the other disciples. Verse 24 reads, When the ten, so that's the other disciples, heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. It's not fair. Or as my daughter is fond of saying, You're not being fair to me. I want to drink from the cup too. Mm. <laughs> if ever there was any indication the disciples didn't really understand what was going on, then I think this is probably it. It should be me, not them. I wonder how many of us think that way. It should be me, not them. Jesus hasn't even told them that they can sit at his right and left. It's not what he said, and they're here kicking off. And in doing so, they reveal their heart before Jesus. A desire to be... The best, to have the most recognition, to be held in the, the highest regard. And if we think about it, it's, it's the oldest sin, really. You know, we think back to the story of, of creation that we, we find in Genesis and, and the temptation of Adam and Eve to, to eat the fruit. They're not tempted because the fruit is particularly shiny or has some ethereal glow. They're tempted because they're told if they eat it, they will be like God. They will have this, this greatness. And that's what the disciples wanted, this recognition in God's kingdom, this position of authority and power. So this is what Jesus says to them. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Jesus says, this is it, isn't it? You know, this is the way of the world. People are clamoring for for greatness, and when they get it, they hold on to it, and they, they lord it over other people, trying to be the best, the greatest. 
Pokemon's on a lot in our house at the moment. And the theme song starts with, I want to be the very best. No one... No, just me, okay. <coughs> Jesus says, that's not, that's not how it is in my kingdom. That's not how it is for me, and it's not how it is for you. You want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you need to be a servant. And he says you must as well. You must. This isn't a mere suggestion of Jesus. This is something that we must do. This isn't an optional extra. In his excellent book, A Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren states that a Christian who is not a servant is a contradiction. And it's, you know, if we think about that, it's true. Because the the purpose of being a Christian or or a follower of Christ is to be more like Jesus. And what does Jesus say in verse 28? Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. You know how some parents say, um, do as I say, not as I do. (laughs) Jesus says, do as I do. Be the same as me. And he demonstrates it for us in his life. How to serve others, how to put the needs of others first, how to to minister to one another. This is the very heart of our faith. And I think this was really tough for the disciples to understand. I just don't think they got it. You know, so much so that Jesus gives them one final example (laughs) just before he's crucified. If you just flick forward to John 13. um, We did look at this briefly on the first week, but I think it's worth returning to um, today. I'm going to read from verse 1 in John 13. And this is just a really short time before his crucifixion. It's the, the night before. It says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Notice in verse 3, it says that Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power. He knew he had come from God. He knew he was returning to God. He knew exactly who he was. His hope and his security was in God completely. There was no need for, for self-promotion, no need to try and claim his authority to put himself on a pedestal or make himself look good. He was secure as a child of God. You know, we've been singing about that this morning, haven't we, with the, with the worship band. That's where his security was. And so he gives them this perfect example of what it means to be a servant by performing the the basest of tasks, the most menial, he might even say the most degrading of jobs, washing their feet. And he does it in order to show them what it looks like to be a servant. Not someone who clings to power and authority, but someone who sacrificially gives of themselves in service to others. It just brings to mind that, that verse in Philippians which says, Jesus, being in very nature God... Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Amazing. And so he finishes washing their feet. And then down in verse 14, this is what he says. Do I have this slide? Oh, gone too far. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than the master, nor its messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He doesn't say, if you, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you write them down. He doesn't say, now you know these things, you'll be blessed if you study them for three years. You'll be blessed if you remember them. He says, you will be blessed if you do them. Just do it. Jesus invented the Nike slogan. You didn't know that, did you? But he did. If you want to be blessed, then serve. Find a way to do it. Now, I know that this morning... It's possible that some of you feel that you have nothing to give. That your contribution is insignificant because it appears small or menial. Or that other people in your eyes perhaps have a more glamorous or important role to play. But you know, that simply isn't the case. In Matthew 25, during the the, the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus talks about how the simple act of giving someone who is thirsty a drink is recognised as service by God. Feeding someone who's hungry, clothing someone who needs it, visiting someone who needs visiting. All of these things are looked upon by God as acts of service. And we all have different abilities. We all have different ways in which that we can serve Rick Warren suggests that each of us has a unique shape. You might not like your shape. I'm currently trying to change my shape. I would like it to be a little less squishy in the middle. But shape stands for spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality and experience. So let's have a look. There we are. So spiritual gifts are are, are God-given abilities, things that that, that God has gifted us through his Holy Spirit, things that perhaps we couldn't do before we came to faith. And the Bible lists many, 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 many of these these gifts. I'm not going to go through them today. Um, You can do your own Bible studies on that um, in the week. Things like evangelism, healing, prophecy, leadership, teaching, administration... And more and more and more. And I'm not even convinced that the lists that are in the Bible are exhaustive. I think there are many, many different gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. But the important thing to remember is that the gifts that are given are for the benefit of each other. They're the help us serve each other. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says that now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. For the good of everyone. For the benefit of everyone. And sometimes we don't even discover what those gifts are until we start to serve other people. And that's key. You think, I don't know what my, my spiritual gifts are. Okay, well, get serving and see what pops up. Because you know, we did a whole talk on this in Corinthians, so I don't want to get into it too much um, you know, with you this morning. Um, but gifts can change. God can give gifts, take away gifts, give new gifts for situations. But that's, that's the S. The H is for heart. What's our source of motivation? What gets you out of bed in the morning? 
At the moment, it's my kids. Quite literally. <laughs> they don't let me lie in. Um, what do you love to do? What do you care about the most? What are you passionate about? What burns in your heart? It might be uh, an age group, children, teenagers, older people. Uh, it might be a, a people group, families or um, singles or uh, motorcycle gangs. I don't know. It might be that you're passionate about telling other people about Jesus. Or looking after the poor. Or taking care of disabled people. Or whatever it is. How can you use that passion to serve other people? The A is for abilities. What natural abilities do you have? Some people are are good with words. Some people are naturally athletic. I am one such example. (laughs) It wasn't a joke. Some people can sing, play an instrument, some people can dance, some people can fix things. I can't do any of those things. Um, But I have other abilities. And studies have shown that people have between 500 and 700 skills and abilities. So you can't say, I don't have anything. I can't do anything. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. P is personality. We all have a unique personality, don't we? Some of us love routine. Some of us can't stand to do the same things day in, day out. Some of us are driven by our emotions. Some of us are a bit more logical. You could have two people doing the same kind of thing, serving in the same way. Two people doing youth work. One could be an introvert, one could be an extrovert, and the work that they would do would be completely different but it's equally as valid. And the E is experience. And we have so much experience to call upon. We have our family experience. What did we learn growing up in our unique family environment? We have our educational experience. What have we studied? What were you better at than everyone else? What have you studied more than everyone else? We have our vocational experience. What jobs have you done in the past? What have you learned about yourself from doing those jobs? What have you learned about other people from doing those jobs? We have our spiritual experience. How have we experienced God in our lives up till now? Ministry experience. What what work have you done for God in the past? And perhaps the most important one is that we have um, painful experiences. What problems have we faced What difficulties have we had in our life? What trials have we been through that have perhaps gifted us with the ability to serve others? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You know, that there is nothing that God can't use in your life that you've been through for his glory and for the benefit of others. Did you know that? It doesn't matter how awful it was, how terrible the experience, how difficult at time it was, God can use that to help you serve others. I think that's wonderful. So we all have this unique shape, a unique way in which we can serve others. But the most important thing is that we do something. Just do it. Remember? Perhaps you don't know if you've got a passion for children's work. 
Why not offer to serve once a month? You'll soon find out if you have or not. Perhaps you don't know what your abilities are or your spiritual gifts are. Then try everything. Get involved. And see what God reveals. We're so privileged. Really, guys, we're so privileged to belong to a church where there are so many opportunities to serve. I'm so grateful for the way that people serve this church. This week alone, you know, Steve's already mentioned we had, we had Alpha, we had over, over 100 people come along and somebody in this church offered to make cakes for everyone. And I, I tell you, I'm convinced that some people are only coming back next week because of those cakes. <laughs> I'm on a diet and I have two. Really good. Yeah, there's one chap in this church who regularly turns up on his day off to mow the lawns and sort the hedges so that when families are here on a Sunday, the kids can play in the garden. I want to get in a position where I'm listing all the ways in which you guys serve in this church because we'll be here for another hour or so and I'll definitely forget someone. But it's a privilege to belong to a church like this. You know, some people serve from the front, some people serve from the back, but they're all needed. And I know some of you this morning still feel that you have nothing to give, or that you feel that your contribution is worthless. Let me just finish with a passage from Ephesians 2, which says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Let's just personalise that this morning. You are God's masterpiece. He created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do good things that he planned for you long ago. We're all God's masterpieces. We're all created with a unique shape, with a unique purpose, with a unique place, with things to do. Ways in which we can serve that nobody else can. Do you believe that this morning? You know, Paul... uh, I'm, I'm off script now, so we'll see where this goes. Um, Paul talks about the, 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 body, the church as a body of believers. You know, some are arms, some are legs, some are ears, some are other bits. And, um, <coughs> you know, I don't know if you've ever sort of um, broken a bone or, or, or damaged an arm or something. It's really debilitating not to have that limb to be able to use day to day. And that's how it is with us. Without you, we'd not be as good as we could be. That's true. So even if it, you, know, you feel that your role is insignificant or it's not enough or that you want to give more but you can't, as much as you can give is good, is right, is useful and will help each other, build each other up. So how are we going to serve others this week? How are we going to serve at home? How are we going to serve with our, our neighbours at work? How are we going to serve at the church?